about a month and a half after uh, our daughter Sophia was born, uh, we were able to finally take her out of the NICU. Uh, we, le we just learned at that time that she was diagnosed with a genetic disorder uh, known as Prader-Willi. And uh, Prader-Willi is a, uh, like I said, a genetic disorder that uh, causes low muscle tone um, and it ultimately leads to some, most people in their studies uh, to what we call the hunger pains. And that's when you get really, really hungry and um, we eat and we become satisfied, but with Prader-Willi, you don't get satisfied. You always have a constant hunger. And that was tough for us to handle. I remember going into the doctors uh, we, at the, in the medical center, and I remember them looking, coming in and looking at Sophia and looking at her head and looking at her eyes, and she, the doctor immediately drew conclusions. Of course, we had DNA to, to show this blood results, but she goes, yes, your daughter definitely has Prader-Willi, and she immediately began to say the things that I, I couldn't take. Uh, she said that your daughter would have to be supervised all her life. Uh, she would have to, she would never, in other words, not live a normal life. Uh, even if she had a job, if she could be, work a job, she would have to be supervised. And um, it was very tough. I immediately began to wonder what she, how, how her life would look five, ten years from now. I immediately began to assume the worst. I immediately began to place limitations on her. And both my wife and I have been very strong in this, and uh, it's a, even tough to talk about it because we just, we wanted to keep it inside. And then it wasn't until uh, some time after that we were with family up in, in Dallas. And after all this wondering, like, I wonder if she's going to be able to do this. I wonder if she's going to be able to do that. I wonder if she's going to be able to do this. It, it hit me. She was beginning to roll around. This is, there's a lot of milestones we placed, that was placed before her. And that milestone was for her to roll around. And, and now she was doing barrel rolls. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody had really seen it before, so everybody was just ecstatic about it. So. And I, it, I've never been one to have God just talk to me then and there, but I just started immediately to cry because this whole time that I've been wondering what my daughter, how she would turn out to be, and <laughs> and I love this. I love moments like this. Uh -huh. I noticed that I realized that God at this time, he was in control. And that was the wonder and the awe struck that I had at that very moment when I realized that I'm sitting here putting limitations on my daughter and I'm wondering what she's going to be doing this and wonder, and wonder about this and about that. And, but God was there the whole time. And it's his wonder that has really turned this around for us. I say hi. <laughs> so, um, God is definitely the light that brings wonder. I and mean, go ahead. 
I think for me, um, one of the big things was when we actually got to take out her feeding tube. And um, it was that she had it in for three months. I mean, she was in the NICU for a month, and then she had, we had to, they had to send us home and teach us how to take out the feeding tube, put it back in once a month. And so we did that. She had it in for three months. And we were in Oklahoma with my brother and his wife and their family, and they had a baby shower for my nephew. And we got to take out the feeding tube right before the, the baby shower. So it was nice not to have to explain to everybody <laughs> why she had it and, you know, stuff like that. That was my kind of um, my wonder moment, you know, because I was just so happy and a little scared because I was afraid she was going to kind of revert backwards. But she didn't, obviously. You know, she's got some rules. But... Um, <laughs> She is, I mean, she just, that was my, one of my big moments. And um, just from then on, she's, she's gotten stronger. Um, we do, you know, exercises at home with her. We do occupational therapy once a week. And we're going here on the 19th for a, a physical therapy evaluation. So, you know, she'll, that'll, you know, be with, um, you know, work with crawling and the walking stages, which we're hoping and praying that she picks that up pretty fast. She is starting to crawl. Well, not, she's trying to crawl. She's not <laughs> crawling yet, but she's, she'll, you know, have her legs out and she'll push herself back, which is good. You know, it's really good. So every little thing that she, she does is, you know, a miracle. Every little thing she, every little um, hurdle she has overcome is a miracle and um, we're constantly you know just <laughs> not I mean not well we're both surprised and you know um, what do you call it? just kind of in awe you know that everything's going the way it's going it, it's good we're not you know every time we go to the doctor they're saying how good she's doing how normal she's looking which you know I'm always going to call her normal because <laughs> Every mom would, <laughs> um, but yeah, she. I mean, she's she's doing really well, and she's smart. She picks up on things, <laughs> and um, we're just so blessed to have her and um, to have each other. And um, so, yeah. For Sophia and the Press family. Lord, thank you so much for the good news that we've heard this morning of your awe and your wonder, Lord. And we thank you for this beautiful gift from you, God. Lord, I thank you for little baby Sophia. And uh, thank you for all the miracles that we've heard about in her life so far, God. And those are miracles. And those hurdles are, are, are just beautiful moments, God. You know, I just thank you for the encouragement that you've given uh, in this last year, God. And I can't wait to hear about how you're going to continue to work miracles in her life, God. Lord, I, and we lean on that verse this morning, and it's so true for Sophia as well, that you have a plan for her life, and she has a hope and a future, God. And we are thankful for that this morning, God. I pray that you'd continue to, to work with Nick and Stephanie, Lord, and, and hold them up and encourage them every single day, Lord. We love you, and we love them. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. <coughs> Amen. Well, have you sensed the Lord's presence this morning? I know I have. I don't know if you caught the last verse to what Lisa said, but she said, all is well, and it is well, despite all of our circumstances. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the wonder of God, and 
We're going to talk about the Christmas story, and I'm going to read it to you in a moment, and I want you just to pretend like this is the first time that you've ever heard it. I know that most of you have heard it many times, but I want you to just close. You can read along with me. It'll be on the screen, but, but if you're going to read along with me, empty your minds, and uh, some of you, for some of you, just might need to close your eyes and just, just listen um, to what Luke has to, to tell to us in Luke 2, 1 through 10. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of Bethlehem, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to the Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That's almost too good to be true, isn't it? It's, it's a perfect story, but it's kind of suspicious, suspiciously perfect. Almost like a story that someone made up in order to convince people to do things because life isn't perfect. Did you know the Christmas story didn't actually start with the angel appearing to Mary? It actually started with the angel appearing to a couple who were too old to have a baby. She came to tell them they were going to have a child, which was perfect and which was wondrous because in those days, if you couldn't have children, uh, they thought it was because they had done something bad uh, that they had lost favor with God, that God had cursed you, and God was mad at you. Um, so this angel appears to Elizabeth and Zachariah and says, you're going to have the son, and you're going to name him John. And believe it or not, he's going to announce the coming of the Messiah. So this was wondrous for Elizabeth and Zachariah. The Jews had waited forever for the Messiah, um, and this was kind of a foreshadowing uh, of the fact that when Jesus grew up and became a man, part of his ministry would be to people who thought that they had lost favor with God because of something they had done, because of something their parents had done, and they would never, ever find favor with God. 
so they thought. So that part of it is wondrous. And then finally, the angel appears to Mary, and Mary's probably 14. Um, and the angel says, Mary, you have found favor with God. And Mary probably thought to herself, found favor with God? I'm not even old enough uh, to have been alive long enough to have found favor with God. And the angel said, it doesn't matter because God has just chosen you. He's just shown grace and favor on you, which again is wondrous because throughout Jesus's ministry, he would go around showing favor to people who had done things who didn't, who, didn't earn, who didn't earn his favor. And in fact, they had done things um, that would cause sort of a displeasure between them and God. Hope I can make it through this. In fact, he would show favor to people who had done things, uh, like I said, to create a displeasure between them and God. So this was a cool uh, foreshadowing of that. And it, it's it's just a wondrous story. And then maybe the best part of it all is the first group of people that find out about Jesus being born are the shepherds. And we don't understand shepherds because we don't have shepherds, but shepherds were outsiders. They were kind of outcasts in the terms of the whole religious system back then because they handled uh, sheep, uh, dead sheep. And um, back then, um, you couldn't touch dead things, you couldn't handle dead things, and they did. So uh, they were outsiders. And they would raise these sheep, and they would give them to the good people uh, to sacrifice. And the good people became uh, closer to God, while the shepherds remained outsiders. And it would be easy to be cynical uh, shepherd, or it would be easy to be a skeptical shepherd, uh, but they were certainly outside the religious system. And yet, in this wondrous story that's so perfect, it just seems like somebody made it up. An angel appears to the shepherds, the outsiders, and says, we want you to be the first to know what God has done among us. That God has done something in the world that is incredible, and we want you to see it. Even though you're an outsider, even though sometimes you walk in front of the sheep, but most of the time you walk behind them, and that makes you unclean, we want to invite you into what the Lord has done. It's wondrous because when Jesus would grow up to be a man in his ministry, he would spend so much time going to people who were outsiders, people who were outside the religious system, people outside a relationship with God, and he would say, God loves you, and you are invited as well. You see, the whole story is so suspiciously perfect and wondrous. And there's this broader narrative that we just get a little glimpse of that you have to know a little bit about history to understand. You see, 1,500 miles away is Caesar Augustus. Now we learned about Caesar Augustus in school, and you might remember that he was the first emperor of Rome, and that he reigned for over 40 years, and, and he brought peace to Rome. And uh, the interesting thing about Caesar Augustus that makes it such an interesting part of the story is that his adopted father was Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar uh, was called the divine Julius. So he was given the status of deity, which meant that Caesar Augustus was considered the son of a god. So you have uh, someone that's like, like a son of a god, and then you have the son of God being born in Bethlehem at the same time, and that created all of this tension uh, and all of this drama. And eventually, this is... This, this is so amazing. Eventually, the only time the world would hear about Caesar Augustus is when we tell the story of Jesus, that the first emperor of Rome becomes a footnote in the story of a shepherd. 
I mean, a carpenter, I'm sorry. I mean, how much more wondrous can it get? But it's so perfect and so wondrous that it kind of makes you suspicious because life isn't perfect. And life isn't wondrous all the time. There, aren't sub, there are not subplots and foreshadowing and everything works out all the time. And, we were, and when we were children, it is easy to accept this story and that everything works out. But as we grow older, we begin to slide it under the category of myth and fable and fairy tale. And we come up with things like this, which don't get me wrong, I love... I love nativity scenes. I have two in my house, and I have one that I keep up all year. But we, we come up with these things, and they almost look like cartoons. I mean, look at them. They're all smiling. Their hair is perfect. Uh, their skin is perfect. Uh, Jesus has blonde hair. And you know how many little Middle Eastern children are running around with blonde hair. So we, we almost make it cartoonish. Um, the animals are perfect. You don't see any poop laying around baby Jesus. They, they must have done their business somewhere else or just not had to do their business. Uh, so it just looks like a very happy scene. But if you're a woman in here and you have ever had a baby and you had to have a baby in that manger without an, epi- without an epidural, you would not be happy. And we like the song Silent Night, but it would not have been a silent night. Believe me. So we take this story that is so perfect and so wondrous, and, and we kind of make, make cartoons out of it. Not, I'm not being disrespectful to the nativity scene, but, but we, we, we see it so often, and it kind of just feels like legend and, and like folklore and like a myth. Um, but you know what? It's not even a good myth because myths have a moral to the story. You remember the story that you heard about George Washington cutting down the uh, cherry tree and he was asked if he, he was the one that did it, and, and he told the truth. Um, obviously, that didn't really happen, or we don't think it happened, but the point is, it, it, it makes a good point about telling the truth. But what do we learn from this? doesn't really have a moral. Uh, maybe to make reservations. Maybe to call ahead. I mean, there's really no application. There's really no moral to this story. It's not even a good myth. And yet, for many of us, that's what it becomes. And of course it does because it's too perfect. It's too wondrous. It really is too good to be true. And when we take off the rough edges, we take away all the dirt and take away the smell and we set it on our mantle above our fireplace or um, on a table or we put it in our yards and we drive by it, it becomes a fairy tale. It becomes a cartoon and it really becomes a fairy tale or a cartoon with no meaning. Maybe a little uh, momentary inspiration, uh, and it might take us back to childhood, but certainly nothing to take us into adulthood. But to the rescue come the two guys that actually bring us the Christmas story, Matthew and Luke. Matthew is a follower of Jesus. He knows Jesus. He knows Mary. He knows um, uh, John, who actually took care of uh, Mary uh, until she finally died. Matthew, who had access to the information, uh, did not begin his story once upon a time. He begins this way. Sorry. Abraham had a son who had a son who had a son. 
And he meticulously goes through this genealogy that most of us find boring. But he does it because he wanted everyone to know that Jesus is an actual person that actually lived, um, who was connected to all the right people, and that the story he was about to tell, as difficult as it was to believe, it actually took place. And then he begins the story this way. The birth of Jesus happened as follows, and he dives right into the icky details. There was a man named Joseph who was betrothed to a woman named Mary, who, oh, by the way, was pregnant, but not with his child, but with the child of God, even though she was a virgin. So Joseph has a bit of a dilemma on his hands, and the story begins. And why would we have a hard time believing that? I mean, it's very realistic, right? But Luke's account is even better. Luke wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. He was a doctor. But Luke knew Peter, and Luke knew John, and Luke even knew James, the brother of Jesus. And Luke sits down, and he realizes that there's some different accounts of this story uh, going around and even some conflicting details. So Luke decides, you know what? I want to get this right. So here's how Luke begins his story of the birth of Jesus. Look at this. Luke 1.1, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things, that have, the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, there are a lot of people trying to get this on paper because it's so amazing. And this isn't 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, or even 200 years later. This is in the time that these events actually took place. He says, There are so many accounts and so many stories floating around from people who were actually there and he says this, as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He says there are so many accounts and so many stories floating around from people who were actually there. And then he follows with this, Luke 1, 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He says so. Basically, I, he says, I decided I wanted an orderly account. I wanted an account that reflected what actually happened. And since I had access to Peter, and since I had access to John, and since I had access to James, and since I had access to eyewitnesses, I decided to put together an account that would accurately, accurately reflect what had happened because nobody's going to believe it. It's too perfect. It's too wondrous. Why would they? He goes on to say in Luke 1, 3 through 4, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Theophilus, you've been told these stories. You've been taught these things. But I want you to know that this isn't myth. This isn't legend. This isn't fairy tale. It's not even oral tradition that's been handed down generation after generation that began to get exaggerated and embellished. This happened among the eyewitnesses who are still with us. So I have thoroughly investigated this, and I am about to tell you a story of how it actually, in history, happened. And then he does something extraordinary, something that doesn't happen in myth or fable or fairy tale. He anchors the birth of Jesus to a very specific period of time. In Luke 2, 1, he says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. In other words, he says, I'm going to anchor this story in history because it actually happened. 
And then he gives us even a greater parenthetical detail so that people would know that this was a period of history that they could track down, that all the historians would be able to go back and trace so that we could know with certainty that it took place. He says in Luke 2.2, this was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And extra biblical material tells us that Syria did in fact have a governor named uh, Quirinius, while, and while he was governor, there were actually two senses that were taking place. So friends, this isn't once upon a time. This isn't uh, long, long ago in a far away land. This is during the reign of Caesar while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And there was a census that had to be taken that, that, um, that, so, sorry, that Joseph had to take um, Mary to because every man um, had to go to their hometown. So a man named Joseph was visited by an angel, and there was a woman named Mary visited by an angel, and he took her to be his wife. He went to Bethlehem to register, and while there, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Jesus, and it turns out that he would become the savior of the entire world. So here's my question for you. What if it's true? What if this story is true? What if these events actually took place in history? What if you knew with the certainty that Luke wanted you to know with, to have, that these events that took place in such a way that everyone knew that God had done something unique among us, something wondrous in the world? If it's true, then what the angel said is so significant, so significant for every single one of us on this planet. When the angel said, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. The people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who thought, I must be out of favor with God because nothing's gone right in my life. Nothing ever goes right for me. God never answers my prayer. If there is a God, he must not love me. To which the angel would say, no, 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 God loves you. He sent someone just like you to be a part of the story. It's good news to all people, even those who think, what in the world could have I ever done to earn God's favor? I couldn't possibly earn God's favor. And the angel would say, no, this is for you as well. Because just like Mary, God loves you. God just favors you. God just likes you. Not because of anything you have done. Not because of anything that you could possibly do. He just simply loves you. It's to all the people, even the people who were like shepherds. Some of you would say that you're like the shepherds. That you feel outcast. You'll say, I'm not a religious person. I can totally identify with the shepherds. I'm an outsider. And the angel would say to you, you are part of that all. And there is great joy for all people. Jesus would demonstrate in an unmistakable, remarkable, wondrous way that he came for those who were nothing like him. For all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior a savior. See, what makes this story perfect 
for you and for me is that God didn't simply send you and me a second chance. And God didn't send you another list. And God sent you and God sent me exactly what we needed, a savior. Because we are not mistakers that need a second chance. We are sinners who need a savior. And do you know how I know that you're a sinner and that I'm a sinner? It's because we don't even keep our own rules. We don't even keep our own rules. And if we don't keep our own rules, and if there is a God in heaven who has any rules at all, you know we're going to break his rules from time to time. And see, this is the reason that it's great news, because God didn't send another list of commandments. God sent us exactly what we needed. He sent the perfect gift, which makes this the perfect wondrous story. He sent you, and he sent me, a Savior, Jesus the Christ. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So it's perfect. But it gets better than perfect. It's wondrous because it actually happened. It's wondrous because it's not just a story um, that we like to think about, uh, a standalone story that we like to think about this time of year to make ourselves feel good. It's a story that includes your story and my story. And it actually happened. Because we are part of the all. We are part of the all, as Luke said. And he came for you. Isabel. And he came for you, Lisa. And he came for you, Melanie. And he came for you, Janelda. He came for you, Kathy. He came for all of us. And he came for every person that you will ever meet or come across in your entire life. It's better than perfect. It's wondrous because it's true. And he did it for me and he did it for you. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for preserving this story um, in history, Lord, over 2,000 years ago. I thank you, God, that you sent your son to be born just for me, just for these people, just for all of your people, Lord. God, I, I thank you that this isn't a fable, that this isn't a myth, that this isn't a cartoon, that it's not a fairy tale, that it's a true story, God, and I thank you that we can be certain of it. God, I pray that if there are people in here that feel like they're outsiders, God, that this would be a moment where they would feel your love and your presence and your goodness and your favor, God. Not because anything that we've done, but because what you did for us. That's the key, Lord. I pray that you would help us to realize that, God, and you would help us to take it to heart. And Lord, I pray that if there are those of us here that have heard this story a thousand times and it just has lost its wonder, God, that you would bring the wonder back into the story. God, that we would um, see it in a new light, Lord, this Christmas season. God, I thank you that you sent us the Savior of the world. What a joyous and wondrous time of year it is, God, and we celebrate your son, Jesus Christ, and we love you, and we ask that you be with us, Lord, as we uh, wait in anticipation uh, to celebrate his birth on Christmas Day, God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.